every marriage has its lowest point. And Jen and I experienced our lowest point six days after we were married. We were on our honeymoon on the Caribbean island of St. John, and I got the bright idea that we should rent a boat and motor to the uninhabited side of the island for a romantic picnic lunch on a private romantic beach. And so we made our uh, bologna uh, and lettuce sandwiches and uh, uh, put them on white bread and wrapped them in, uh, you know, that plastic cling wrap, saran wrap, and uh, packed for the beach. And uh, we rented a 25-foot boat. uh, And as we sailed away, uh, Bucky, the owner of the boat, said, uh, I think there's some weather coming, but you should be back before it hits. And if you listen carefully... After this line, you would have heard some ominous music, dun-dun-dun, kind of in the background. Yep, there was weather coming, all right. It was a tropical storm brewing, and by the time we got out into the harbor, waves were swamping our boat uh, in mountains of seawater. And when we got to the uninhabited side of the island, the waves practically pounded us into our romantic beach. Uh, which wasn't what we had in mind. What we also didn't have in mind was that this particular beach was not powdery white sand. It was a shoreline of these huge boulders. Uh, And soon we were pinned up against these rocks and a big hole was being pounded in the side of the boat. And we were filling up with water. So I got out of the boat to try to push the boat away from the boulders And when I looked at the ocean around me, all around me were jellyfish. Jellyfish all around me. And they were the ugliest jellyfish I'd ever seen. Got a white, green, and red. And I screamed, jellyfish! And uh, my wife was totally traumatized. And then I realized that they weren't jellyfish They were the bologna sandwiches that we had packed and the saran wrap was hanging down, which explains why these jellyfish also came with a bag of Doritos that was uh, floating around. And um, while arguing with Jen about what to do, I remembered that the boat had a walkie-talkie. And so I got on the emergency band uh, with the San Juan Coast Guard. And the first question they asked me was the name of my vessel. So I looked at the boat, and on the side of the boat, it said, rent me. (laughs) And so I said, "Uh, the name of my boat is rent me, the rent me. And so from then on, I was the captain of the rent me. Uh, Come in, rent me, over, rent me. And that was the lowest point in my life. Uh, I was the captain of the rent me. And my one-woman crew was ready to mutiny, make me walk the plank, or worse. And uh, the San Juan Coast Guard uh, radioed Bucky, the owner, who eventually found us and uh, decided that he would try to tow the rent me uh, back to port. But the hole in the side of the boat was too big and started to, well, let me just say that Jen and I own a boat in the Caribbean, uh, but you need special equipment to see it. And... uh, The wreck of the rent me was the lowest point in our marriage. It was, it had it all, you know, uh, major arguing, uh, financial 
bankruptcy, a near-death experience, and a really bad picnic. Uh, so welcome to this series that we're calling Survival Kit, because in your life, there's weather coming. There's weather coming. There's weather coming that'll shake your confidence, your relationships, maybe even your faith. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the weather that's coming against your family. Today, we're going to talk about marriage. And right now, let me just say that I understand that for some of you, this is not your favorite topic. Uh, for some of you, you're recently divorced, or you're in a toxic marriage, or you want to be married and you're not, or you're grieving the loss of a spouse. I understand that you might have some feelings about this. And so what I'd like to ask you to do is just, would you pray? Would you pray for the marriages around you or those who will be anticipating getting married in the years to come? Pray because every marriage needs divine help. Every marriage needs a survival kit because there's weather coming. Please turn your Bible or your device to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 15. God invented marriage, and God's marriage survival kit goes back to his original design. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. The Lord God put Adam, took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded him, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a partner suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And when, while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So these words describe God's intent for marriage, but they also highlight the tools in God's marriage survival kit. And the first tool in God's marriage survival kit is commitment, which is like a compass. Uh, commitment is this true north reference about what leads to marriage surviving and thriving. Uh, this commitment is emphasized in verse 24, where God says marriage is this lifelong commitment that involves a man and a woman leaving father and mother and then forming a permanent one flesh relationship as husband and wife. And I know that as soon as I mention lifelong commitment, permanent relationship, some of you are tempted with those of you with difficult marriages especially are tempted to roll your eyes and you think, great, here comes the pep talk about not getting a divorce. And yeah, we're going to say that. We're going to talk about that. But actually, we're going to go way beyond just a commitment to stay together. Uh, I shared this with uh, some of you in a, in a different context, but most of you have heard of Rick Warren. Uh, he's the pastor in California who's written a number one best-selling book called the Purpose Driven Life. And what you may not know is that Rick and Kay Warren were almost divorced. Listen to what Rick Warren writes. When Kay and I got married, we were very much in love with each other. We felt that God had brought us together as husband and wife, but we just didn't get along. 
We fought like cats and dogs. Everything was bad. Our communication was bad. Our sex life was bad. Our finances were bad. Everything stunk. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I'm trapped and I don't know how to get out of this relationship. Nothing is more painful than a hurting marriage relationship. My wife Kay nearly had a nervous breakdown. I ended up in the hospital. Our relationship made, us, made me so sick that I had to take an entire month off from work. We were both dying inside because we just couldn't get along. And we would be divorced today if it were not for the Lord in our lives and the two commitments that we made to each other before we got married. The first commitment we made was that we would never, never, never get a divorce. That was not an option for us. The second commitment that we made was this. We committed to do whatever it takes, pay whatever it takes, for however long it takes in order to make our marriage work. And then Warren goes on to describe the sacrificial amount of money and time that they spent uh, in counseling. He also writes about the long nights of painful dialogue and conflict resolution. But then there's a very happy ending because as a result of keeping those two commitments, Rick and Kay Warren now have a thrilling, fulfilling marriage that they've enjoyed for decades and decades and God has used them to touch millions of other lives through what God has called them to do together. The Warrens illustrate that marriage survival is so much more than just a commitment to not get divorced. That's just the first commitment. The point of marriage is not to stay together in an awful, terrible marriage. The second commitment is to make my marriage work. God created marriage to bring joy. And so we need to go beyond just staying together. God calls me to commit to do the work of making my marriage something that is beautiful, something that brings companionship and gladness and fulfillment to me and my spouse. And I realize that sometimes this is impossible. If a marriage partner is toxic, or abusive, or violent, or continually unfaithful, there's probably no way to go forward. But it is also true that many, many otherwise healthy marriage partners give up too easily and too soon. Some marriage partners give up that true north commitment to do whatever it takes, pay whatever it takes for as long as it takes to make their marriage something that survives and thrives. Commitment is the compass in your marriage survival kit that guides you true north to the next item in God's marriage survival kit, which is oneness, which we could depict as one tent built for two. This is the kind of commitment that we're talking about. It's being committed to intentional oneness. God puts oneness in the marriage survival kit when he emphasizes in Genesis 2, verse 24, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, the weather is coming to every marriage, but those marriages that survive are those who intentionally build a foundation of oneness. So let's go over some ways that I can build oneness 
with my spouse. Spouses build oneness by first praying together. And I'm not talking about some big production with candles and incense and everything else. I'm just, you know, even if you just spend three minutes together just praying over some of the things that are in common in your relationship, it will build oneness. And then also there's growing spiritually uh, together. The closer you grow to Jesus, the closer you grow to each other. And then if you share what you're learning in Jesus, that oneness is truly a spiritual bond. And then there's also developing friendships together. Of course, it's fine to have separate uh, relationships, separate friendships, but there's a unifying effect in having some common friends. Now, these three things, praying together, uh, growing spiritually together, developing some common friends together, this is why as a couple, it can be so unifying and can build so much oneness when you join a BlackRock community group. A community group can be that place that brings wonderful bonding to your relationship. Next, there is sharing common interests. Growing in oneness is having fun together. It's when a wife joins her husband in his sports enthusiasm or a husband joins a class that his wife is passionate about so that they have things in common that they enjoy doing together. And then there's romancing each other. God gives husbands and wives physical intimacy as both an expression of oneness and something that creates oneness between them. This is so important to God that in Scripture, God commands husbands and wives to be available to each other. Then there's making memories together. In the storminess of life, couples need to prioritize making positive memories. Uh, that's why it's important to have a date night uh, for a couple or for budgeting in some romantic getaway time because we need positive experiences that will counterbalance the negative experiences that will inevitably come into our relationship, which leads to one final thought. Spouses also build oneness by resolving conflict together. Uh, one of the most unifying experiences that a husband and wife can have is making up after a fight. But the only way to have that making up is to actually engage in conflict resolution. And this is why husbands and wives must resist the habit of withdrawing in the midst of conflict. And here, I need to admit, I'm an expert at it. I am an expert at withdrawing in the midst of conflict. When there's a conflict, I withdraw. I don't say nasty words. I don't attack. I just step back and withhold myself. Can I give you an example of, uh, of a time when it goes way back to when my kids were about five years old. Uh, it's summertime, and we're packing the kids up uh, to go on a day trip to the beach. And since there's going to be a short walk from the car to the beach, uh, I tell the kids that it's time to put on their water shoes. And I force on these water shoes because the kids are saying, we don't like the water shoes. They make our feet hot. They make our feet hot. And I show them, I'm wearing my water shoes, so stop complaining. Let's get on those water shoes. 
And then Jen comes from somewhere else into the situation, and she sees the kids and says, kids, get your sandals on. Those water shoes will make your feet hot. And so the kids rise up and call her blessed. They rip off the water shoes and dance a dance of freedom. And, uh, you know, Napoleon had his battle of Waterloo. Jen and Steve had their battle of water shoe, right? Not exactly, because I withdraw. I know it sounds silly, but this little interchange hurt me. It hurt. Uh, but I'm not going to scream over something like that, right? I'm a pastor. That's not, you know, it's not a very pastoral thing to do. So I just withdraw a little bit. I get a little quiet toward my wife. I spend a little more time focusing on the kids, and I don't really... Uh, spend your time talking uh, to my wife. I, I just, I, you know, I say a lot to the kids, but just don't say too much. Very bare minimum with my wife. And as a master of withdrawal, I can engage this thing absolutely perfectly. I can do it so that I'm just quiet enough so that Jen knows that there is something wrong, but yet subtle enough so that when she says, is there something wrong? I can say, no, something wrong with you? And it sounds like such a silly, tiny thing. But you multiply this kind of withdrawal habit a thousand times, day after day, week after week, year after year, and you end up with two strangers living in the same house, and they don't know how they got that way. It's because they've mastered the awful art of withdrawal. And there are a lot of different ways to withdraw. You know, there's just watching TV late at night to avoid intimacy. There's hiding yourself in the internet. There's immersing yourself into something good like the kids or your career or just giving your spouse the old silent treatment. Marriages can't survive without the oneness that comes with conflict resolution. To survive the storms, I must choose to engage in conflict and resolve it and refuse the art of withdrawal. Finally, God offers one more tool in the marriage survival kit, and it is affirmation. The world beats us down with criticism and shame and guilt and judgment, but God designed marriage to be that relationship of two people who actually comfort each other, support each other, and bandage each other and uh, each other's wounds with the first aid of acceptance, the first aid of approval, the first aid of affirmation. And God indicates that this is what spouses need to do is accept and approve of each other in that line in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a beautiful description of God's design for spouses to be an encouragement to each other. Unfortunately, we know that Adam and Eve's affirmation did not last. And very soon, they were blaming and shaming and critiquing and criticizing each other. Sadly, this is how many couples operate too. Instead of celebrating each other and being each other's biggest fan... Instead, couples berate each other, nag each other, and do it all with some kind of twisted motive of trying to change the other person. 
Marriage love cannot survive when couples beat each other up with negativity and shame and blame. This is why God's survival kit for marriage includes the first aid of affirmation. A while back, I was uh, introduced to an amazing couple named uh, Klebe and Deanna McClary, who got married in the 60s. And uh, several months later, after they got married, Klebe received his orders to go to Vietnam. And uh, Klebe was assigned to a reconnaissance squad. And on one mission, uh, he was behind enemy lines and became a victim of a surprise attack. Grenades exploded, and Klebe was left for dead, but he survived. And Diana received a note that told her that her husband was injured and was in a military hospital in Maryland. And so Diana was flown to this hospital, and at the door, uh, the doctor tried to prepare her for what she was about to see. And Diana came into her husband's room, had a dozen beds in the room, and she couldn't find her husband. She could hear Klebe's voice but she couldn't find him. But he was there. The voice was coming from a man with no legs, one arm, one eye, and a face that was scrapnel damaged beyond recognition. Klebe was so worried about his wife's reaction to him that he wanted to die. But then when Deanna came into the room, he got new life as Deanna began to just kiss his wounds on his face over and over, telling him that she would never leave him and welcome home, honey. And she didn't leave him. Diana stayed with Cleve throughout his long stay in the hospital. And over those months and, uh, and weeks, Diana saw many other wives come in and see their husbands uh, for the first time. She saw some wives take one look at their husbands and take off their wedding rings and leave it on the chest of that soldier, saying, I can't handle this. I didn't sign up for this. And Deanna watched as those chests would heave, the ring would roll off, and tears would come down behind those gauze bandages. But the McClearys chose to survive. Cleve and Diana had their original dreams for marriage blown up by a grenade, but through commitment, through oneness, through affirmation. Well, last, East, last week, Easter, they celebrated 49 years of marriage. And now they spend most of their time going around the country supporting other marriages because they know something about God's marriage survival kit. They know what it takes to survive in this world that blows people up and leaves people with scars. I especially love that image of Deanna, you know, kissing her husband's wounded, scarred face over and over again, because this is what marriage to God is all about. We're all wounded. We're all scarred. We're all a mess. But with Jesus in our lives, the followers of Jesus have Jesus' Spirit, His Holy Spirit within them, who gives them resources to look beyond the imperfections and embrace the spouse with affirmation and kiss their wounds over and over again. 
and give the affirmation that we all crave in that marriage relationship. I don't know what stage your marriage is in today. You know, maybe you're in the middle of the storm or maybe there's weather coming. Either way, would you open God's marriage survival kit and decide how you're going to start doing something, even something small, to build your marriage, to decide to do one small thing each day, to choose commitment, to build oneness, and to express affirmation in a way that will make your marriage survive and, with God's help, thrive.